Hi everyone, welcome to study four in our Why series, and this study is about Why Church. Question one, what do you picture the early church meetings to be like? And there's a couple of passages there to look up. This really gives people the opportunity to just imagine what it could have been like right there in the beginning, maybe not only in the early church of Bible times, but in the, in the, in the one or two hundred years after that. It would be great just to talk about it for a while. Some people will know more than others, and uh, some people will just have some great thoughts and imagination about what it was like. Have a look at the passages that I've suggested there, because there is, it is a guard against romanticising too much the early church because although Acts 2 and Acts 4 are amazing pictures of the church, 1 Corinthians 11 is saying that their meetings do more harm than good. So there was problems right from the beginning, but there was wonderful things right from the beginning as well. Question two, do you feel we are better or worse at doing church today and why? I think this will be really interesting, and any notes that you get, I'd love to hear them. I think there will certainly be some feeling that we are doing worse today, and probably because we are far more institutionalised, I suppose, and that, than the early church was. The early church was uh, very organic, and although there were leaders and there were controls and there were uh, instructions and boundaries and all those sorts of things, we uh, probably have, I uh, would definitely have over history, uh, not done some really tremendous things as the church and we are paying for that in people's perception of us. However, at the same time, we're doing a lot of things better. We're reaching more people, we're connecting with more people and more people are becoming Christians today than ever before. So there's question two. Question three, what does Ephesians 1, 18 to 23 say about the church. And that's talking about God placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is really quite an incredible passage and probably won't be able to dig to the depths of it, but at least to reflect on it and ask the question, Every well, and and see the fact that everything that God did in Jesus, it was for the church, absolute service for His bride, His children, and so the but the church is the body of Christ. It is the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. So, the one who is the ultimate in all the creation and the universe is the one who serves and lives through the church. It's quite incredible. Question four, what is God saying through the church in Ephesians 3.10 and to whom? So Ephesians 3.10 says that God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal power which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what we're seeing here is the existence of, this is not something the church does, this is something the, the, uh, the um, existence of the church does. 
It's as if we don't have to do anything. The fact that there is a church is saying something very strongly to the powers, as it says there, the... Oops, I'm looking at the wrong page, sorry. Uh, as it says there, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. So it is as if the existence, it is the existence of the church is a statement to the powers and authorities, which are the evil powers and authorities, that God is one. The very fact that there is a church, that there is what God had always planned for there to be, through the death of his son and through the resurrection, says that uh, God, God is winning. And this is why the church is the focus of the powers of evil, uh, it, it is exactly what, uh, so the church is what the, the powers of evil want to persecute. So you see much of that um, happening. But at the same time, the church goes from strength to strength. So that's uh, Ephesians 3.10, worth reflecting on that as much as you can. Question five, do you think that there will be any need for a church in the new creation? And and in a way, this question is mm, one that might be leading people to think, no, we won't need a church anymore. However, Ephesians 3, 20 to 21 says that to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations and forever. So the church we, as the church, are existing forever. This is always God's eternal plan, his people, his church, eternally. Now, I wonder if you've already picked up that we're looking at church in particular, according to Ephesians, and that'll help us when we think about why church on Sunday to have this Ephesians background. Ephesians, uh, question 6, Ephesians 5, 21 to 32 is a controversial passage and so please be ready and careful in discussing it because it it's concerning the roles of men and women and some people will have stronger positions on it than others and so just be able to guide the conversation and to uh, not allow any red herrings and tangents to be taken over by anybody. What would A, what would verse 21 look like in practice at church, which is submit to one another out of reverence for Christ? So what does submission to one another mean? How will that, what will that look like at church? And how will that look like when there are leaders making decisions or when people, uh, or when they do badly or when people don't like the decisions leaders are making, all those sorts of things. This is a key problem within the New Testament church, particularly in Ephesians, uh, in uh, Philippians, I should say, as well as in 1 Corinthians. How could uh, B, how could verses 22 to 24 be used wrongly? Well, this is the section where it says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Obviously, I think it can be used wrongly when used for a justification for abuse and for one a husband getting their own way and using spiritual talk to try to do this. It's really, really damaging and it's not what Paul is saying here because the type of submission is mutual submission 
and then there's going to be that's going to work itself out in in uh, in in the way things uh, happen. So one of the questions could be or it might come up as being is this something only for back then in the first century a much more patriarchal society than today uh, or is this for today as well good for us to uh, be thinking through that one c how should verses 22 to 24 be read rightly well reading it rightly is an extension of that submission to one another and the the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is called the saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Uh, to be read rightly is to be read in the light of verse 21 in submission to one another. So right ordered relationships and ensuring that there is that expression of salvation uh, and love from the uh, as it says here, from the Saviour towards the church. And that should have outcome in verse in relationship between husband and wife. Now, this is just not easy and straightforward. It's something we ought to reflect on and pray for. It's a challenge for each and every one of us. D, what does Christ do for the church? Well, that's in verses 25 to 30. And what Christ does for the church is basically loves her and cleans her and forgives her. E, what did God create? Why did God create the church? Well, in a word, he, he wanted a bride for his son. So there's the picture there. The whole purpose of creation is for that divine marriage between Christ and the church. Quite incredible. Question seven, what is one way our church can live up to the high calling God has for us? Well, friends, that really found in chapter four and five. It's about in ministry to one another, being equipped for ministry, in not living like the world, in always be, uh, not letting any unwholesome talk come out of our mouths, um, in, in living as we do in the light. So you can scan over chapters four and five and see how that works out and that high calling for us. And but, uh, question eight, what's one thing you can do to help that happen? Well, that's a question for everybody. And I think two things ought to come out. One is turn up. Turn up to church. It's your people. You belong to them. They belong to you. When you're not there, you're missed and you are effectively uh, prioritising other things above what God prioritises. Now, I know there are things on that cause us to be away from church and things like that. I'm not saying that. But when we have the choice and when we decide against the choice, we're actually deciding against the whole plan of eternity. And so the first one is turn up. The second one I'd say is serve. Let's be people of service. Find areas of service at church. All right. Well, I've gone for 11 minutes and 20 seconds, and that is way over my time. And so I'm going to stop right now. I hope your study goes well and talk to you soon. See ya.